Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Global News reporter Clay Young uh, is in studio. I'm here at the home studio. Clay's back at CGOB Studios on the 30th floor of 201 Portage. Clay, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. You were out uh, talking with people about crime today in that Maine and Higgins area, and that's been the site of uh, a few incidents over the past couple of days. Well, you know, when you're talking about Maine and Higgins, um, it's it's an area that has seen its fair share of, of crime, and I'm talking violent crime. It's seen homicides mm-hmm. there, stabbings, shootings, uh, beatings. Uh, the latest incident occurred about 2.30 this morning. I talked to Constable Rob Carver. He says a man was seriously assaulted uh, by the underpass, uh, like, a, like I said, about 2.30 this morning. He was rushed to hospital in critical condition. Uh, he has since been upgraded to stable, but it's just the latest incident to occur in the area. So we were out and about. We went out to the Maine and Higgins area, talked to the people uh, who live there, who frequent the area every day. Uh, this is David Shaboya. And we asked him, you know, what's the problem here? It's just drug and alcohol infested area. That's all it is. People mugging, people people on welfare just mugging each other for, for drugs. That's all it is. Stabbing for no reasons at all, just because they're drug addicts. You know what I mean? But me, I'm not a drug addict, I'm an alcoholic. I used to be a drink a lot, but now I just calm down. I just buy an eight, eight pack or something, and then it'll last me a month. Changed my life around. Good for him. This woman lives in one of the Main Street hotels, and we caught her as she was just coming out of the building. Well, if you go out at nighttime, you're risking being assaulted, or the nightlife seems to come alive at this in the nighttime. I stay in past eight, so it doesn't really affect me. Usually, if you go out in the daytime, you're okay. But, I mean, if I went out at night, you know, you could be jumped by anybody. People might say, well, why do you live here? Poverty, poor times, uh, hardship, uh, being part of on the system. Also talked to uh, James Cook, who has lived in the area for years. And James tells us he was once attacked in a robbery attempt. Well, I lost my teeth by a baseball bat, surgically removed by a baseball bat. <laughs> you, you, were, you were attacked by somebody with a baseball bat who knocked... Who, well, we're, get, we're getting interrupted by a train. Why did they hit you? They're trying to rob me. I have a guitar. I play guitar. You know, they try and jack you up for anything that year, so you have to be careful. So, uh, there's just a, a sampling of some of the people that we talked to. Uh, police have no suspects in custody, no arrests in connection with the uh, latest incident that uh, occurred there at uh, Maine and Higgins, Hal. Hey, Clay, you've been covering crime for a long time. I've been around, you know, since 89, came to Winnipeg in, in 89, and 
crime was being discussed here on CJOB yesterday. Global News reporter Malika Kareem was uh, in that area yesterday again talking to Lighthouse Mission and the Salvation Army and some of those organizations, and they talked about drug and some of the stuff that you've just talked about. You live in Charleswood. I live in South Winnipeg. Yesterday, Kathy Kennedy was getting some heat from North Enders saying, you know, it's, uh, it's gang on gang, it's not that bad in the North End. What, what is your sense? My sense is that there is crime everywhere. And, yes, I think sometimes the violent crime uh, happens in areas that are dealing with drugs more than others. But it is everywhere now, isn't it, Clay, or am I wrong about that? No, you're right. Um, unfortunately, for that particular area, it sees a lot more violent crime than, than perhaps yeah. other areas of the city. But, you know... Um, we just had another homicide uh, the other day, and uh, I, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago on, on one of my weekend shows, uh, I don't care, I don't usually go into rants, but I did go into a rant at that particular time, and because a man had been shot... Uh, in a very seedy area, and it didn't seem to get in. Oh, well, just another, you know, maybe a, a, another gangbanger killing another gangbanger. Uh, didn't get a lot of attention from the media. And I said, you know, um, this once was somebody's husband or, or, or wife or brother or sister. It was someone who was loved, and they have come to a very violent end. And I think... Uh, the media in this town should pay a little more attention to it than just give it a few lines and let's move on. I mean, that's that was my sense. Yeah. And uh, I had Constable Carver on, and I, I apologized to Constable Carver because I was interviewing him, and I said, you just hang on the phone for a second. I just want to go into a <laughs> rant. And then I came back to him. And he basically agreed with me. He said, you know, every homicide, you got to look at the background. This was once a a young boy or a young girl who enjoyed playing games or whatever. And then, you know, we get the people who said, well, what about the upbringing? What about the parents? And, you know, we could go on and on. Yeah. Well, even just listen to the the three people that you talked to that you played for us just now. Listen to... Um, their circumstances and how they have fallen on tough times. The, the, the woman who spoke, she nailed it, right? When she taught you said, why, why do you live? People will say, why do you live here? And she said, poverty. I, I, you know, I have to live here. I don't have a choice or, you know, circumstances off. That's how many people end up homeless. You know, we're, we're all, or many of us are a paycheck or two away from finding ourselves without a roof over our heads. And so often that's the case. But it is it is a, a problem, I think, right across the city. Um, you know, uh, property crime. I never had more property crime in my life than when I lived in a very nice condo in Tuxedo. So, um, you know, I, I'm not so sure you can say it's any one particular area in North End, Point Douglas. You know, we know the ones that stereotypically get pointed at for, for crime. But uh, I, I'm not so sure it's, it's not everywhere. Uh, and one more question, Clay. Do you think it's more perception or reality? I think it's a little bit of both, Hal. Mm. Uh, what are yeah. we up to now? 27 homicides? Well, we're on track to, to beat the record again, yeah. Which was 44 uh, yeah. last year. Nobody thought that could ever be broken. I, I think the previous record was 38. 
Then we got up to 44. Now we're at 27. Just one other thing about that lady, who was very friendly to me, by the way. She was mm-hmm. very friendly. Yeah. We're having a nice chat. I said, I don't need your name if you don't want to give it. She said, I'd rather not give my name. And at the end of the conversation, I said, by the way, what is your name? I said, I've, I've turned off the recorder. You said you wouldn't ask me my name. I just, I was just, <laughs> she said, I have to run. I have to go and get something to eat over at the Union Gospel Mission. I said, you go, you go, girl. Uh, you know, those places, they, the help they provide for the people in that area, I don't know what would happen mm-hmm. if, if, yeah. those, if those uh, places weren't available. Yeah. Clay, great job as usual. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. All right, so it is Navajo Code Talkers Day. And I chatted this morning uh, with a CBS reporter, Jeff McCausland. I, I talked to him earlier and recorded our conversation. Take a listen. Great to be with you. Yeah, thank you. Navajo Code Talkers Day. Tell us the story. A lot of people here will know the story, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But tell us about the day and, and why it's important. Well, I think we have to reflect, first of all, that Native Americans have served in the armed forces Throughout our last several wars, there were about 12,000 Native Americans served in the military in World War One, and about 44,000 answered the call during World War Two. Mm-hmm. In 1942, a guy by the name of Philip Johnston helped pilot the use of Native American languages as code for the U.S. Marine Corps. And Johnston had spent his childhood living on a Navajo reservation, had become fluent in the language, and served as an interpreter for the Navajo delegations when they visited Washington. So the Marine Corps recruited about... 29 Navajos, and gave them a couple weeks to develop this code using complex aspects of the unwritten Navajo language, and then subsequently recruited 400 Navajos who memorized the code, and these code talkers then were able to be instrumental throughout all of the campaigns in the Pacific. Furthermore, of course, similar things were done using other other, uh, tribes in Europe and elsewhere during the conflict. And here's why a lot of Winnipeggers and Manitobans know this story, because many of us watched the 2002 movie about the Code Talkers called Wind Talkers, and a local actor from Asher, Manitoba, he was born in Asher, Manitoba, Adam Beach, was in that movie. He took six months to learn the Navajo language, and here's a clip from the film. So that's kind of a cool connection, Jeff, uh, to the story. And you mentioned uh, First Nations people or Native Americans uh, contributing to uh, military and war efforts down there. I I would be remiss if I didn't say the same thing about our First Nations people here in Canada as well. Uh, Ronald Reagan uh, made this day a thing in the 80s, right? Am I right on that? I believe that's correct, and it's been periodic visits by the uh, Navajo Code Talkers and other Native Americans who served in the U.S. military uh, to the White House as we celebrate these guys. You know, the Japanese were never able to break this particular code, obviously, and during the battle for Iwo Jima, one of the most difficult battles in the Pacific, six Navajo Code Talkers successfully transmitted over 800 messages without a single error, and the Mm. Marine Corps leadership were very outspoken in saying the Code Talkers were critical to that victory on Iwo Jima. Well, and yeah, and many people say that the Americans may not have gone on to win the war if it were not for the Navajo Code Talkers. 
Well, it certainly may have taken an awful lot longer, and uh, several of the code talkers in the course of combat were actually captured, but still maintained the secret of what this particular code that they were using, uh, and they were actually much more efficient in uh, translating things than the machines at the time. The code talkers could translate three lines of English in about 20 seconds compared to the average times of 30 minutes for a code-breaking machine. Isn't that something? Jeff, I might have to watch the movie again this weekend. Thanks a lot. My great pleasure. And by the way, that is a very good movie, too. 2002's Wind Talker, starring Manitoba's Adam Beach. That was CBS News reporter Jeff McCausland. Today is Navajo Code Talkers Day. So my computer is acting up here, uh, Sky, and I hope we, uh, we don't lose contact. Boy, I'm glad it's Friday. And then Dr. Cyrus Dirksen bails on me last half hour. Uh, but he's with us now, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. Hello. Hi, Hal. <laughs> now, oh, I understand that I, I was sort of throwing uh, Lisa Dutton under the bus a little bit because I know you were doing an interview with her, but apparently yeah. it has nothing to do with Lisa. This is all on you. This is me. I don't know. I, I, I have no good excuse. I was thinking we should do a show on maybe on absent-mindedness or, or something, I, I don't know. I, I somehow got into my head something else, and, and uh, it stayed with me just long enough. And then I called, and then they were like, oh, it's Cyrus. And I was like, well, this is what I always call. And I was like, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> no, no. We've been looking for you. We've been looking for you for half an hour, man. Uh, and I got a great text message here from Gaytan at 204-780-6868. Gaytan says, Dr. Cyrus, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Ditching Hal for a TV interview. I'm so distraught I may have to go and see a psychologist. It is true that I actually did the TV thing over the last half hour and uh, just yes. it, it didn't even clue in. That's okay. Uh, you know oh. what, man? I'll tell you, we had another day like that. The premier had a news conference the other day, and it was mm-hmm. he was a half hour late, and he walked up to, this is true, and so I'm tap dancing right now. That was my bad, because normally I'm prepared, and I was this yeah. today when you weren't available. Normally yeah. I'm prepared, but I wasn't prepared the other day. It just slipped my mind. I didn't have any real bad, and I was tap dancing. And so the premier's a half hour late. He walks up to the microphone and says, I have nothing to say. What are your questions? And so it was like a double whammy. So for this to happen today, uh, I was going, oh, are you kidding me? But I was prepared. I had some stuff ready to go. So don't give it all away because you did talk to Lisa Dutton. So I'm sure you're going to be on Global News Television tonight at, at 6 and maybe again at 10. I'm not sure. Give us a tease. What did you talk to her about? I'm sure it has something to do with parents and kids and anxiety about going back to school in the middle of a pandemic. Oh, man. You know, it feels like it's not just the kids who are going back to school for the first time. It feels like the parents are, too. And I've had a few conversations with parents about this already. And, uh, boy, some of them, it it almost feels a little bit like they're going back to school and they're, like, talking to the other parents and, like, trying to make arrangements and who's friends with who and what masks are you going to wear and, you know, like, all these different arrangements that they're making to try to see what's going to come. I have a feeling most of the kids are going to have a mask in their bag. I, I'm very curious to see how many of them are going to be wearing it by the time school is out. And, uh, but yeah, it, it's causing parents a lot of anxiety because they're trying to weigh mental health versus physical uh, medical safety of the kids themselves and their families who sometimes are at risk. And so uh, it's going to be something to see. Well, and that was one of the things that we were going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. The headline yeah. is the stress of the unknown is taking mm-hmm. a massive toll 
on parents. And I said yeah. this to, to Carolyn Klassen yesterday when she was on. She was on time, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just, I'm just messing with you, Doc. Uh, and I said this to her. I said, I kind of feel like the kids are handling this better than the parents. The moms mm. and dads are having a harder time than, with this than the kids. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of frustration uh, going back and forth between parents who really feel like there should be wearing masks and parents who feel like they shouldn't be wearing masks and frustration with the government for not making it clear, uh, you know, so that they didn't have to go through this negotiation. And the kids are sitting there and just like, do I wear a mask? And, and I think that there is a feeling for some of them where it's like, I don't want to wear a mask. But um, for many of them, it's like, oh, as long as you make it comfortable and maybe kind of what the other kids are doing, I think they'd get through it. Um, I have to say, I'm a little curious to see how they do, uh, you know, after, you know, a number of hours of wearing masks. Um, I mean, one of the things to think about is there's a lot of other countries out there or some other countries, maybe I should say that, that have their children wearing masks successfully and for years and at uh, different times. And so I think it's definitely possible. It's just kind of figuring out whether there is that social will uh, in order to actually make them do that at this time from the parents and from the teachers um you know if they do if it's not mandated and uh so yeah it's a really big social experiment and unfortunately these parents are all caught right in the middle of it and the other question i have for you before i let you go um is um you know we've got people on both sides of this emailing texting calling in uh, today to the show some are you know calling for dr rusin's head others are saying good for the doctor for for standing up and not making masks mandatory uh, i don't know if we're split down the middle or what the percentage is on either mm. side but this really has divided the community hasn't it it certainly has and and uh you know these value based decisions where there's a right and a wrong and it's I mean kids will split themselves up based on just style never mind something that actually has some social significance like this and health significance and it has uh, split the community between you know personality types and also groups that are more vulnerable and less vulnerable and um, and so I think that uh, unfortunately this is something that could cause a lot of anger between groups and um, and potentially be a new way of segregating uh, if this goes in a certain direction. And I think that could be very sad for kids who are kind of innocently um, kind of going to be potentially victims of of something that could turn into uh, something that would be, you know, have some prejudice in some ways um, and maybe some bullying. And, and uh, I, I think that's sad that that might happen to them. Great comment, Cyrus. I'm glad we got you on for a few minutes. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you for a whole half hour next Friday at 2.30, okay? 2.30, Hal. I got it. <laughs> All right, Cyrus. Thanks a lot. Okay. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, drcyrus.com, D-R-S-Y-R-A-S.com. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.